suit a round button. I have had the life on hell trying to just get a button on a website. So I just think that, that this is inspirational because you've managed to manoeuvre through that morass of things, which is you've got a brand. And I looked it up as well. I did know it was a Japanese word, and I think it's pronounced usen. So you put the emphasis on the second part of the second um, part of the word. And, uh, and I think you're supposed to bow as you say it as well. Um, but I, I was inspired just by the fact that you'd achieved all of that. You'd navigated very effectively all the challenges to come up with a successful business conclusion to the activity. So I thought you deserved applause for that, if nothing else. Um, the trick now, the trick is how to keep it going. It's not, I think, that you lack enthusiastic support. And I think it is not that it is not an appropriate thing for this university to be engaging with. Our, our biggest trick will be how to find that niche for this activity within the OU and to make something about it singular and different. So my final prompt, um, and I, I challenge everyone in the room to do, you can go and log on to the National Graduate Enterprise Council. It's a website that's sponsored by government but sits independently. You can become a member. All you have to do is register, and it requires your name, your email address, and your telephone number, in inverted commas, and they'll send you an email back immediately. And if you go and look at their recent activities, so I emailed one of them to Professor Patton today. Um, today they did a, a video piece about social enterprise. So there was a whole uh, video piece which is about making available to um, entrepreneurial communities an awareness about social enterprise. And, and they've used multimedia in order to be able to convey that information. And I'm kind of going, why didn't we do that? Um, I think there are interesting opportunities in our engagement with the Facebook, YouTube generation. So I guess we should think about having a YouTube Facebook site. We do, actually, but I haven't... I know, I haven't... I, went, I, was, I was about to say, I went to have a look at that as well. Um, I think at the moment possibly less successful than the logo, but I can see that it has potential. Um, so, again, I think there are all sorts of tools that the OU is savvier about than probably a lot of other people just at this moment in time. And I think given that we now live in a technology-rich, if not a technology-mediated life that all those things are very relevant. How do you translate, and I guess this is my final comment, that my experience of working with businesses, and with all due respect to my male colleagues, that the UK business arena is still a very white male-dominated thing. If you go to the... I sit at IOD meetings, I sit at CBI meetings. Um, with all due respect, it is still a very conventional arena... And I look at this room, I look at the mix, I look at the age profile, I look at the gender profile, the diversity profile. The mix is there at the OU. It's reflecting what we, the OU, are very proud of. What I think would be the challenge that we should meet is that we roll that out, we ripple that out by showing that entrepreneurial activities and an enterprise culture can be nurtured, grown and matured by this very dynamic community, and that we challenge ourselves not to reflect old business UK, but we challenge ourselves to be an exemplar of what the new world looks like. So I challenge you to be that, and I commit to supporting that with my colleagues, I'm sure, from the university. So may I offer my congratulations to you on your official launch. Well done, everybody. Thank you very much indeed, Bridget. Uh, that's uh, some, uh, some ideas there that we'll reflect on uh, in summing up at the end of the session. And there, by the way, there will also be a, a session for questions and answers um, once all the speakers have had their pitch. Now we're moving on to Chris. Uh, Chris, over to you. Okay. Well, thank you very much to Andy and Tuta for uh, asking me to uh, just say a few words about the uh, Milk Kings Enterprise Hub. I guess I'm, I'm one of the few people who works at the, at the OU who manages to actually uh, work under a completely different brand. So we are called the Milton Keynes Enterprise Hub. My, my uh, pay packet at the end of the month actually says the Open University, but I operate almost as inside and outside. And that has advantages and, and dis disadvantages. What I'd like to, to tell you a little bit about is what uh, the Milton Keynes Enterprise Hub does um, here on, uh, on uh, campus at, uh, at Walton Hall. 
um, and then spend a little bit of time in terms of my own experience about actually setting up, a, a, if you like, an entrepreneurial climate and culture uh, for the Milton Keynes area. Um, I have a day job, which is the Enterprise Hub, and then because I don't feel busy enough, I have a, an evening job as well, which is running a, a technology network, which is a Spark uh, network. And through that, I've been doing that for four or five years now. I've really established that there are probably four or five elements, actually, to actually developing an entrepreneurial culture. The first one is making sure you've got some kind of business support package around that, and that's kind of what we do in terms of our, our relationships with, with the club. Um, with our clients. The second one is to make sure there's an investment climate. So there's, there's places where people can go to get funding. The third one is an entrepreneurial pipeline, and you guys are that entrepreneurial pipeline. So you need to have the new ideas coming through, uh, through the actual process. You need a sense of place, and the Open University gives you that sense of place. It may be a virtual place, it may be a real place, but you need an identity, and there's your identity. And then surrounding all of that, you actually need a network and you need that culture where it's okay to talk to each other in an informal way about your ideas, about what investment needs, what, 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 uh, what you actually need from, from each other. So like all good organisations, we have our mission statement. Um, so that is ours. But what we do is we are quite specialist in, in, the, in the support we provide. We, we provide support for... Uh, high growth potential businesses with unique ideas at their, their, their core. We are supported by the Regional Development Agency, which is the South East England Development Agency, and we are one of uh, 18 enterprise hubs spread right across the, the, uh, the South East. We obviously um, focus in on the, the Milton Keynes region, but obviously we can actually then connect you into our enterprise hub network um, colleagues. And we're there to actually accelerate um, the success of uh, those businesses. So that's the meaning behind those. This is actually who we help. So we focus on entrepreneurial individuals who have a unique pioneering idea at their core. So they can be a technology business, uh, but we, we use that, that word, which is misused at times, which is knowledge-based. But it, what that means is that there's knowledge actually within, inherently within the actual business itself. Um, they are working towards a unique concept. So the, these aren't um, uh, franchise businesses or, um, uh, if you like, lifestyle businesses. Um, and they're, tr they're trying to develop protectable intellectual property, either through trademarking, patenting, maybe through the, um, uh, the design of the, uh, the product. They're looking for significant growth. Um, they're looking at national, probably international markets, so that it's a replicable and scalable uh, business, and actually people who are actually willing to listen to some of the advice, because if they're not willing to listen, there's no point in us talking. It's, it's a waste of time for both of us. Um, anybody who's seen me present before, I always do a round diagram, because I, I like them. So this is, this is mine. Um, if you like... Those are the elements that, that we've done. When I started this job uh, four years ago, uh, working for another university up the hill, I hear some and then saw the light and came and joined the Open University, um, we were providing those hub core services for, for our, what we call our portfolio class, and I'll explain what that uh, means in a second. Outside that, we actually have a hatchery here in the, uh, in the southwest uh, car park or the southwest building, um, which is... Uh, Oh, it's very simply hot desking space, which is on easy in, easy out terms. Absolutely vital for some of our clients to actually have that. A very simple offering, but um, it, it, it should be there. And then surrounding that, um, some of these are, you know, are um, uh, uh, already established. Some of them are uh, already uh, getting established. We have developed a, a technology network, which we're calling Spark. So we've brought some funding in to do that. We run face-to-face uh, uh, -face, uh, events. Uh, we have a Bright Spark Awards, which we're doing uh, next week over at, at, um, at Cranfield to, um, uh, to actually recognise uh, some really innovative companies. And we were absolutely staggered um, by the, the actual companies that we've had within our region, right across Bedfordshire, Northamptonshire, uh, uh, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire. We've got some absolutely cracking companies which we've actually managed to uncover. So we're really, really, really pleased with that. We work in partnership with other organisations, so with, with Cranfield University, with Business Link um, and various people. So we're supporting Cranfield's Venture Day uh, next week. Um, we've been supporting this, um, uh, the University Centre for Milton Keynes and we'll be providing some support for them. 
Um, uh, we're looking at providing an international soft landing centre to actually help SMEs who are looking to set up in the UK. Um, and then we're, we're starting to look at early stage um, workshops, actually specifically for the, the Open University and some of the um, specific courses that, that, uh, that are running. And then lastly, um, see, I told you about the circles. Here's my other circle, Dargo. Um, that's actually how we organise our, our services in terms of for our portfolio clients. So our portfolio clients uh, come in, we put them through an induction, and I've been doing that with quite a, a, a few clients uh, uh, recently in a whole range of sex sectors. So this morning I was with a, a, a guy who's designing uh, carting seats out of uh, composites. I've been talking to people about eco-coffins. Um, I've been talking to people about social networking um, sites as well. So it's a real, real mix of individuals. We then set them an action plan, and we, we put that as a compulsory element, and then we do a pick and mix, effectively, from the various support services uh, that we have at our disposal. So that's not only the desk space, and often people who, who are looking at startup space just see it as, as office space, but I'm very passionate about, actually, there should be other support services around that. We have a Merlin mentoring program, so we, um, we can offer them that. We link them into the networks, both on a local basis, but also on a sectorial basis as well. We have the information resources. We have access to finance as well. Um, often the first question that anyone will ask is, I need some money, I need some money now. And my first question is, you should have come to me six months ago, uh, because it takes a long time to actually do that. And then we actually run some expert, um, expert clinics ourselves. But I, I guess my, the byword and, and what I'd encourage you as a, as a, a society really is, is to make sure that you're working in partnership both within the, within the, the Open University but also outside. So you know, by all means, you know, come and ask me um, if I can help. If I'm not, you know, as, as I said, I, I look at um, um, uh, high growth potential businesses. But even if you have a business which is different from that, I do know the entrepreneurial landscape, if you like, for support within Milton Keynes. So I'm very happy to you know, point you in the right direction if I, if I can't help. But it really is about partnerships and, uh, and relationships. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. I'll hand out over straight now to, uh, to, to Colin. Thanks, Andy. just want to say how really thrilled that I am to be here. It's like a a sort of long-held dream coming true all because of Andy and Tutu's efforts. It's fantastic. And I also want to um, sort of reinforce the words you said about, not just about students, it's about bringing all the elements across. And as part of that, I should add from what Chris has just said, that actually the, um, the, the, his enterprise hub is going to move into the business school. So we're, we are becoming more enterprise aware. So the time is exactly right, right now, for this sort of initiative to be pushing and to actually get a good, a good hearing from the people in the school. It's, it's exactly the right sort of time. And we'll be the only business school, I think, in the country that actually houses within itself uh, an enterprise hub. So that's going to be something to, to look forward to. Um, Yep, okay, yep. So what I'm just going to talk about then, I'm something which I th in, in that vein, is, is, is how I see and how I want to see uh, the convergence of interest between USEN and, um, and the business school, how we can actually mutually benefit each other from, from what we're doing. That's, that's really basically all that we want to talk about. Um, so essentially it's that. How business school with USEN, what can they do? So an active, a mutually beneficial partnership. That's what we, we should be aiming to do. And there are plenty of ways of doing that, plenty of venues. I'll just talk about a couple of them because I don't want to spend all the time talking. Um, the first one is in learning. I mean, we've got a huge ability to learn. Huge, the potential for learning is absolutely massive. Um, USEN has, at its fingertips now, because of the links with the business school, um, access to a lot of academics who teach in subjects that are growing business finds it has to address at some stage or other. Not, not often when they're starting, they have particular issues there, but as they grow, they, they have to do that. But the, so has the, um, the business school, because up until now, we've, I've been um, there for more than 20 years. I've spent most of that time battling against the current to try and get something like this happening and something like entrepreneurial courses. Well, say about four or five years ago, a couple of false starts, I have to say. I mean, I came to the business school, a massive collaboration between us and Cranfield. At the time, it was worth about £3 million. That was 20 years ago, so it was a pretty massive project. And we managed 
to produce 30 multimedia packs to, for self-study for people wanting to start up or people in business who needed to brush up on their marketing skills or financial control, uh, human resources, that sort of stuff. It wasn't a great commercial success. We managed to, to shift about 5,000 little units of these things. And then we discovered the way you do, if you don't redo your research properly, you don't really look to see what the, the, how the market is segmented, um, we discovered they were made to, to small business trainers rather than to small businesses themselves. Which, of course, we missed a trick there. Instead of actually going after that market, even with renewed energy, we didn't do that. So I know that you're going to have much more access to much more sensible advice from each other and from people like Andy and people like Tuta and other people who've got business experience who would be part of Usun. So that's something. So there's, there's learning to be done on both sides. We've got a lot to learn in the school about how enterprise works, how it's set up and lots of the issues and where our, our knowledge transfer can take place to, to maximal effect. All those sort of things. So learning is a big area where we, we can collab- collaborate. Um, and research. Um, I mean, the university is more than the business school. Lots of things are happening here in the science and technology uh, faculties. But even in... In, in some of the other faculties, you know, to do with, with services. I imagine even in psychology, there are lots of most, you know, psychologists and psychological services are, are run as small firms, small outfits. Um, so there's a lot of a possibility of sort of innovations of the university or the access that the academics in the university have to what is happening more broadly afield to spill over into what Houston's doing through discussion, through events like this and through, through the websites and all those sort of stuff. Um, and then, by the same token, um, well, I mean, you know, the European Union and the research councils are some of our biggest sources of, um, of research money and, and some of the more prestigious sources of it um, are all the time demanding that SMEs be taken into account, even that you have SME partners where you've got some, some effect because they recognise that small firms, some small firms, but some small firms are a crucial to the development of new competitive innovations and to the embedding of them into our economies so that we can compete more successfully um, with other parts of the world. And so there's huge, huge, huge um, possibilities. And the thing that I was talking about was um, case studies. I mean, for, for okay, case studies, a bit of hard work putting them together. The point about it is this is an absolutely fabulous source of case studies, not only because the business themselves will be interesting, but also because the Usain people have been students. They know, from a teaching point of view, what we're trying to look for in a case study. So they're ideal for actually, and also actually reflecting on some of the, the issues that we raise through a case study. They can actually, um, they can articulate that uh, for a very practical experience from their own experience in a way that we could make use of very, 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 very um, effectively. And, and, and something which, which would be actually beautiful for us to have. But what, what do they get in return? Well, they, you know, you may make a, a case study, then you've got a record of what you are. That's actually fantastic in marketing, the potential for milking for marketing and for getting articles done and getting into the various journals which spring up all over the place. Um, we're always asking for, being asked for, 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 for some of our students who are studying to become entrepreneurs um, for, as examples and articles that people are writing. Sometimes at the National Daily is like the, um, the, the Times, you know, the Observer do that as well. So what we get is get high-quality, deep-knowledge cases, which are just fantastic, which we can and already couched in teaching terms, naturally, because the people themselves have been through that process with us. So, you know, they're, they're the big big pluses. And I, I just, if I can have time just to go through, to look a bit more closely at those things. The learning one, um, well, Usun people will have a huge dem- uh, demand to learn, uh, the latest studies by Eurostat, that's the statistic people in, um, in Brussels, show that on average, um, new startup firms um, cease to exist. Half of them cease to exist within three years. And that actually, there are big differences. It's only 40% of um, f- fresh startup firms in Portugal survive the first three years, whereas in Sweden it's 60%. And UK is about the middle, so we're about, about 50% survive. Well, okay, a lot of them are going by the wayside, and one of the main reasons is because they don't know, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the experience. In USIM, which is a network, you've got access to talk to people. The whole strength of a network is you can pull on the experience of the other members of the network. You can use them as sounding boards. They can, they can be a little warning, guiding light to you, saying, hang on, have you thought about this, have you thought about that? That's going to cost you. Are you really going to get return on that? Those sort of questions they, they can ask. Um, 
Okay, so that's there. And then, of course, when they go into maturity, that, that their needs differ. And lots of our mainstream courses actually do address, you know, the skills and the knowledge and the competencies that you need at particular levels of, of a firm's development. No, okay, obviously they're going to... You, you also learn... But you also learn that you, you, you need a knowledgeable workforce working with you as you grow. And again, the OU comes in there. So that's, there's a mutually beneficial thing taking place there. And then when we come to re- re- renovation, um, our, our technology faculty, uh, I forgot what it's called now. Sort of. yeah. They, um, they uh, have fantastic courses on, on designing and developing new products. If we're going through the design process. We, we, we do as well in terms of services, what have you. So, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff there. From our point of view, what we do, we already have this course, B322, which looks at the stuff you've got to do in the launch. We know that. Um, then you have this delegation that we were talking about earlier on. Um, again, you see, that's, um, that's something which is really core to our HR courses, are very into that and into how it can be done effectively, how it can be done through leading from behind, participation, and so on and so forth. Uh, and again, um, sustaining creativity, innovation. Again, the innovation stuff that in, in, in our technology people have, but also the courses that we're running in our um, in our MBA on creativity and um, and creative knowledge. And and then, of course, when you come to resourcing growth, the, the financial and, and and money management skills that you need for that. So that's the learning side. Um, oh, they just they are mainly small things. What I'm saying, half of them never get beyond that. Um, and even when they do, they don't grow. I'll look at this later on the motivational issues. They, often they don't want to grow for very valid reasons. So it's not, growth's not the only thing. It is the sign of the um, entrepreneurial firm, but not all firms are entrepreneurial. So the research, again, there are lots and lots and lots of small firms. There are 4.5 million firms in Britain. 99% of them employ fewer than 250 people. So it's a massive amount. They also account for a very large... Uh, chunk of the workforce. But when it comes to sales, the large firms dominate. They account for much more, 60% of all national sales. So there's an imbalance between that. And as I said, the small firms, it's a turbulent thing. If half of them are going out of business in that three-year period, then new ones coming in. So it's, it's not a stable thing. The larger firms are much more stable. They, they tend not to go out of business that way. And when they, when they do, the, the effects can be quite devastating. But, but by and large, they tend to be much more stable than the, the small firms. Um, but the ones I'm interested in are entrepreneurs. That's why we've got the B322 course. Some of the students are here, I think, tonight. Um, and then the growth-oriented firms. But it's all very well being, having a desire to grow, and we want to encourage that because the firms that have a desire to grow generally are more strategic in what they do, and they're more aware of the, um, of the marketing issues and financial issues that are, that are around them. Um, but you've got to also have, be capable of doing it. They're the two things that come together. And this is where... What the school has to offer the Usain people is a chance to develop skills that can make you capable in lots of different ways and also to help you develop, once you do grow, the workforce that you, um, to become capable. And what we do in research terms, we look at all that, but we're kind of interested also, particularly in the school, um, first of all, what enables a firm to be able to make use of new knowledge and innovation and so on and so forth. The observative capacity of the firm to make use of it and, and to generate the knowledge. They're the firms that, that actually in research terms, influence us and interest us. And I say many USIN members will be kind of in that category. And they will sometimes come from a technological background themselves, I think. Not, doesn't, you don't have to, but I think, what did you say? You said it was a knowledge background. It's got to be a knowledge background <coughs> of some kind or other. Um, but what we also research, and one of the big focuses in the school, are the interactions between the firms. Uh, so... This is also very valuable for a firm to know that that sort of information around how, 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 how to expect um, cultural shifts are going to affect you if you want to go and set up another, another country, uh, what sort of things, practical things you might, you might have to think about doing. Um, how do you, you know, deal with different cultures and approaches to managing human resources, marketing and so on and so forth. Um, also, they, the small firms, they, they, they're very competitive. You know, the entrepreneurial ones, they compete with the big firms. With the, you know, with the big firms... Small ones want to take a bit of their market. They, they're, they're, they're niche players. They go, they go for particular things. They buy things for big firms too. Lots of, they, lots of their components will be made by large firms. They'll be using generalised services provided by, by very large firms in distribution, but they also compete. So, okay, yeah, well, I'm just one more slide, I think. Um, 
And also the big thing, the big firms and, and government do the research and development, the spillover, and the new sources of the new ideas, and the, and the, and the small firms that have business experience can profit from that. And uh, this is another area that, that, um, that we research in the business school and possibly can cast life. But all the time there's this cultural and peer influences, which is what Usain is. That's what Usain is, isn't it? Um, I won't go take, spend too long on this. It's, we're just going to look at what we would look at in a case study. It's the process that goes through. Um, simple model. There are external changes, there are external market needs, there are internal capabilities in an absolute sense. But it's not so much the ones that exist. It's how they're perceived by the, um, by the owner-manager making the idea, by you as you make your ideas. And with more knowledge and more, and more input from the school, those perceptions can become closer and closer to reality, which is also the sign of a successful entrepreneurial firm. Um, we like to show other people how that process happens. That's why the case studies are important and, how, and, and, and also useful in terms of um, assessing whether the learning has taken place by actually having case studies and asking questions of them, which ways would you think that um, firm should turn. In the whole thing, though, there's always the, the, the joker in the pack, and it's individual motivations uh, change things all over the place. And I said it's only a, a minority of... Um, Minority firms that have this economic motivation, mostly by and large, these other ones get in the way. The, one, the firms that ask entrepreneurial to succeed, well, they get in the way. They, they get in the way, okay, because they're important to you. That's why they wouldn't get in the way if they weren't. Um, uh, and that's why most firms don't want to grow. I've said there, there, there are valid reasons, but most firms are because there are other conflicting um, drives and pulls on them, which they have to, uh, which they have to attend to, and that becomes. For some people, the main reason for working is are these things. It's not to make you know huge sums of money, and even for some entrepreneurs, it's not. Sometimes it's just meaning to succeed and to show that you've achieved something. Um, but showing that through a case study is, is very, very important. All those conflicting pulls that go through. Uh, that's why that's the other area that I um, that I think we can work well together. And so, where I'd say that um, looking at this that uh, model of a decision-making thing, where can we actually actually have the impact? I sort of speculated that probably Usen being sort of basically a, an active network that spans boundaries, uh, obviously you're going to have a big impact there. And on, on the cultural influences, because if you're members of Usen, you'll start to share lots of ideas and st- shared perceptions of what's going on, which becomes a sort of a cultural influence. And, of course, in expectations. That's what leads, it's not so much strategy, but it's the expectations the owner has is what leads to their behaviour. Um, I would think on work and personal motivation, those, those sort of things, peer pressure, discussion, uh, all that sort of stuff. But the OU is also very big in that area as well. In fact, we know that, we, that as a result of doing OU courses, the most important thing, self-confidence has increased. And it's an absolutely, I'm sure Chris would agree with me, absolutely vital part of the ingredient for a firm to, to even think about starting up that actually go through with it, that self-confidence. And that's one of the... The, the main artefacts, one of the main effects from um, an OU course. And it also, the knowledge. The knowledge means that your perceptions are sharper. They actually are closer to reality. And that's the other thing that, the, that we want to look at. But see, we'll be learning, because if we are looking at you for case studies, we'll realise how we can improve our, our teaching. And if we do improve our teaching, then the, the, you then have the possibility of that spilling over and improving your own business stuff. And so um, I will close by wishing you, all and every one of you, the best of luck in your ventures, however far you go with them. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Colin. Um, I think uh, the key points there are are, are the support that's available from the OU, the many, many assets that we have surrounding us, um, both the the, uh, external support systems that... uh, that uh, Chris mentioned, but also the internal support, um, and we have to really capitalise on all of those assets. I'd like to hand over now to Rob. Just in case you missed the introduction. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm really pleased to be here, and... um, Partly that's because I'm really glad to support Tuta uh, in what he's doing, and I think it's uh, it's typical that he's hardly, you know, been more than a few months in having moved to Milton Keynes, moved to a new job uh, as a research student here, uh, when he's thinking, oh, I think I'll set something up. 
Uh, and that's the story of his life. Uh, and so I, I salute Tutor and uh, what he's doing here, and uh, I'm really pleased to be part of it. That's the first point. The second thing I want to say is that uh, I'm really pleased that social enterprise will be part of the overall fabric and approach to society. It's not something separate. It's not out on the edge. Uh, it's recognized and embraced from the beginning as part of uh, what this is about. And there's lots of reasons why I think that's important. But the basic one is that actually most uh, healthy human beings have a combination of motives. We generally feel quite sorry and uh, sad about people who are only preoccupied with the economics. Uh, they, they quite often you see the stories in the newspaper about them, and they, are, they don't have a great social life. Uh, they are not happy people, generally speaking. Uh, and unless you are a saint, the sorts of people who are only concerned with social concern and uh, impact are, are often uh, a bit sad as well, actually, if truth be told. Uh, so the truth of the matter is that most 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 folk have, a, have mixed motives and a combination of them. And often those will change in balance over time uh, for reasons that are quite straightforward. I, I don't have... I'm a Scot. I have no difficulty with folk. And, and here I have to take issue, actually, with, with my esteemed colleague about the importance of the Irish in the development of entrepreneurship. Uh, as, as, we, as those of you who have read the book know... It quotes, it was the Scots that invented the modern world. <clears throat> and it's a lovely book. Uh, when my wife saw the title, she harumphed and said, well, I always knew they had a lot to answer for. <laughs> um, anyway, I mean, the story of the Scots and, in a sense, the, the, under, the invention of the understanding of, of capitalism in a way that was embedded in a moral climate is a fantastic story. And uh, the seizure of Adam Smith... Uh, by the neoliberals is um, as a sort of travesty of everything that the man stood for and that he thought about, but leave that aside. So, uh, as a Scot, uh, I, I'm actually, I have no problem with people being interested in economic security and, and making an impact and making money. I actually quite like the stuff myself, let's be clear. Okay, uh, but it was certainly the context I was brought up in, it was in a sense, and I've, I've seen somebody much more prestigious, uh, you know, something terribly prestigious saying this uh, oh it, it, it appears in um, in that in the wonderful uh, in that film the name will come back in a moment that well making it, it's, it's making money is, is the easy bit it's doing more than that that makes it interesting yeah. uh, so for many people actually uh, what they're interested in is setting up an enterprise a social, an enterprise with some other benefit and this is an unusual I mean, if you actually go back and talk to what drives many of the major entrepreneurs, it's actually a passion about that industry or that engineering possibility. That, that's what really turns them on and excites them. So the social dimension is there in a wide range of different settings. It's also, uh, in some cases, there very prominently from early on, and it's what's driving people. But always, of course, in both cases... This business about personal autonomy and leadership, the commonest motivation for folks setting up small businesses is they want to be their own boss. And that's, that's true in the social area as well. People want something to prove themselves. It's an achievement. They want to earn an honest living doing something they care about. Uh, and so they go in and set up a social enterprise. You find this all, all kinds of places. Social care homes. Somebody who's a qualified nurse gets fed up with working in the state systems. They've tried the voluntary sector and they don't want to be managed by a mad management committee. So they set up their own little social enterprise where they can do their own thing, which is caring for elderly people, for example. And so this kind of stuff is all over the place. And um, so I think if I have um, one thing that I want people to take away from this, and it's another part of the reason why I don't want... Um, I'm glad that this is from the beginning part of the, the entrepreneurship club and network here, is that um, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with, being, with people seeing social enterprise as some kind of new arrival, some kind of poor relation, or just a fashionable fad. It really isn't like that at all. I'm not going to talk, your, talk you through this stuff, uh, but I'm just trying to give you some idea of the history of the thing. And this is only going back to Victorian times. When I do this spot as a sort of 
in other contexts. I'll take you back to the foundation of the monasteries. I mean, you don't understand the development of industrialization capitalism in Western Europe without understanding the contribution of the monasteries to the um, development of, of new forms of agriculture. Absolutely critical to it. Uh, as well as all kinds of arts and crafts and trades to do with... Uh, so we can go back, and then there's you know, new Lanark, all this kind of stuff. But once you get to Victorian times, the social enterprise is all over the place. Okay? And uh, so that's one way of looking at it. And then if you look at um, in our, our transition now to a different sort of society altogether, we've got a whole new class of problems. And once again, uh, society's part of an important part, I'm saying arguably, and there's a theory I feel coming on here, an increasingly uh, important role for uh, social enterprises nowadays is as the sort of advanced party in the problem-solving uh, sector in relation to the big adaptive challenges of our times. And that's what's going on uh, in lots of places, and these are some of the examples that are taking place. So this stuff is not um, you know, good works on the side in little kind of corners, though, having said that, I must correct myself, because you never know, and this is true of other businesses too, you never know which are the ones that are starting off small and this is just, you know, another plumbing shop or another cafeteria or restaurant, and which ones will have an idea that will grow and generalize. And it's exactly the same in the social area. When I was young and knew a huge amount, I'm now old and know, I understand how little I know, um, I, my, my mother... Um, who was a, very much a social entrepreneur. Um, in fact, she, she did all kinds of interesting things. She, my, my father worked in Africa for a bit, and she, um, she, set, she drove around in a Morris Traveller setting up a, a family planning service and managed somehow to enlist a Catholic archbishop in support of this enterprise. So, but that wasn't the story I wanted to tell, though it's, it's quite a good one in its own right. Um, <laughs> well, when I was young, watching when I was much younger, she said uh, she was involved in the early days of fair trade, you know, and flogging the, the fair trade coffee in church halls and things like this. And I knew better than that. I knew that what was really needed was structural change and this wasn't going to go anywhere. Well, now, of course, what we see is that fair trade is an international brand which is, has become a structure in its own right to which major companies are having to conform, or, or how do we relate to this? Uh, so I'm not saying it's the solution to all the world's problems, but you can't tell when these small developments and initiatives are growing to something much, much more important over time. So uh, that's my little pitch, and, in, and that's all general. That's me being an academic. I'm waving my hands. I can actually be quite practically helpful on occasions too. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not often, but on this occasion, what I can do is I can, be a, uh, I can refer you to people as part, if you can't get them anyway through the... Tutor knows this stuff anyway, but if tutor's, if tutor's ill or having to do an assignment or get on with his research, <laughs> then you can make do with me. And there are some... Uh, there are sources of money. There's, there's social finance available in, in big ways. Triodos Bank, um, Unlimited is just a, a foundation to, to provide support to social entrepreneurs. And it's not just financial support. They've got a fantastic social networking website where the social entrepreneurs themselves can swap ideas. There's, there's uh, a lot happening in this field. So if you've got an idea that has a strong social dimension to it, there's help available. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, uh, Rob, thank you very much for that impassioned plea for social enterprise. Um, uh, quite an empowering message there, I think. Um, uh, Colin mentioned the 50% of businesses that don't make it past year three. I would focus on the 50% that do uh, because they all offer, uh, that's, a, that's a huge proportion. And uh, it is, uh, every one of those offers the kernel of a possibility and you really don't know where it's going to go. And um, with, uh, with any new venture, then it's a roller coaster ride. Uh, and there's big highs and there's big lows, but it's never boring, that's for sure. So um, I would promote uh, entrepreneurship on that basis alone. So uh, through the course of this evening's speakers so far, uh, I've learned how to say U-sen, uh, accepting the challenge. Um, 
the mission, we started with the mission of Tuta, uh, and there's really three prongs to that mission. One is to provide personal development within the society through uh, inspirational speakers, through practical workshops, through other kinds of training and, and development. Uh, the second uh, thrust is networking. Already tonight, um, I had, there were two members that were in the room. Uh, one of them has a, a therapy business. The other is planning to set one up in a couple of months' time. Uh, so a quick introduction was required at that point. Um, hopefully that's, that's turning out well. Um, the third thrust is uh, a sense of community, a supportive community, a group of like-minded people who can uh, build up this uh, self-confidence that was mentioned earlier. Um, it, it is critical, and sometimes feeling alone can feel very alone. So hopefully by, by um, be including yourself within the membership of Usen, then um, that, uh, that, that peer support is going to help you to take the right decisions. There's a wider OU community that's also been mentioned tonight. Uh, beyond the staff, uh, beyond the students, we're reaching out to the alumni as well. Uh, and in fact, our, our membership is, is split pretty evenly three ways between staff, current students, and former students, which is very healthy. We cover virtually every faculty uh, within the university as well. And when you put that together, there's so much diversity that new ideas can just spark off. And uh, I, I, I see that as a, a major asset uh, which should improve the creativity and innovation within our society over the coming months and years. Um, what did I mean by that? The OU technology, yes, of course. Here we are webcasting, uh, courtesy of Keith at the back there. Thank you very much, Keith. Um, and we will be uh, replaying this. Uh, it will be available to the public um, after, after it's been edited, perhaps. <laughs> um, and uh, in future, future meetings, we, um, we plan to use that KMI technology uh, in order to make these, these meetings interactive online so that we can uh, take questions uh, in real time, so that we can act as a, a truly online community. We have members in Scotland. We have a member in the United States as well. Uh, but we do have uh, quite a, a wide geographical spread of members already. And if we can utilize the technology, then we can accelerate that quite dramatically. The, a number of supportive networks have been mentioned tonight. Um, one, uh, the OU itself, the, 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 the expertise and the learning that's available from the staff of the Open University. Another is the external community. Uh, Chris talked about his, um, his circles. I think a few of them were actually egg-shaped because, because I, I see that uh, you're providing the womb for, for embryonic ideas. <laughs> so th there really are support mechanisms out there to make it less difficult, less lonely to get new ideas off the ground and that's very reassuring um, and the networking that's available within society will uh, make that much more real to people um, mention as well of cultural influence um, I, I do see Usain as having, as developing over time a long-term influence on the enterprise culture across the OU community. Um, and uh, I, I, I firmly believe that that's going to be a positive addition to the already diverse uh, culture that's available. Before the questions, I'd just like to formally thank Bridget as well for her financial support to USM, which has enabled us to come into being in a much less painful way than it would otherwise have been. Doubly thank Bridget for the food and the drink today as well. <laughs> so that's, that's very, very helpful indeed. Okay. So uh, we are now open to questions. Would, does anyone have any, any questions at all or comments or contributions? Anything at all? I'll relay them to the microphone and, uh, and we can direct them to an appropriate speaker. Or suggestions for f future activities.
question because I wasn't very sure about. Um, you had it about uh, that there are no indications that show whether a small or medium enterprise survives or not. Um, so is there virtually nothing that indicates, okay, what are the kinds of success factors that make an enterprise survive? Because it's, how can it be that some grow and others don't? I mean, there needs to be some sort of, let's say, well, pleasure, of course, well. Do you, do you want to do, Yes. Uh, Keith, did it, was that picked up on the mic? It was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. well, there are, but they're not, um, they're not 100% the tendencies. You know, so you can't ever rely on them. I mean, if you did have a, come up with a, a perfect litmus test, the banks would have found it miles and miles and miles ago, and they wouldn't be anywhere near them. Would be anywhere near them. <laughs> now, um, but uh, prior business experience is one of the biggest, strongest indicators of someone that she has prior. Uh, I've heard it, I don't know if it's still true, but it used to be the case that the, the single best indicator was somebody who had failed once before. No, it's not. And so you've got uh, the, the prior business experience is one. There are some signs also that uh, there are educational effects of people who've got a higher, well, I don't mean PhDs, but I'm talking about technical education particularly or, um, or degrees, university level. They tend to survive a bit longer. They tend to start different sorts of businesses. They tend to be open to learning uh, the skills needed for them to to survive. So you've got the prior business success and you've also got you've got knowledge that is you know more formally acquired tend to have an impact. But then of course you've got incredibly strong regional in- influences which influence it and uh, and in industry ones. Different industries have required different um, different needs. Um, the okay, people going out of business, they only <laughs> only will they that be an indicator that they will start again. One indication that would be they are persistent, and that's one of the things that, that will, um, that is one of the success factors, people who are, can maintain their persistence in the face of setbacks. I mean, that's one of, that's one of the characteristics of, a, of, of an entrepreneur, is that they are persistent and they are driven and they, and they will they do what they can to overcome whatever obstacles that there are. Yeah, that's something. But capacity, understanding of business and, and, and business experience is probably the best indicator. So therefore, management buyouts and, um, and people who come out of a large maybe the careers have been blocked and want to do something or, or the, the company wants them to move they don't want to and they decide to start a business but they've actually got good, good business experience working for a large organisation or for government or whatever uh, it's that sort of thing is really Excellent okay well th- thank you for that question Patrick I mean it, it was a very valid one it, the question really was is, is it really down to a flip of a coin whether you make it or not uh, and by the sounds of it there's many ways in which the odds can be improved and Certainly, you know, I've walked into many retail shops and think this won't be here in three months' time. You know, they sold all the stock in the shop, then then they won't pay for the next month's rent. Um, so, you know, there's, you, you can you can you can change the change the probabilities to your advantage very strongly. Yes, Chris. Non-academic answer in terms of the kind of experience that I've had. I, the, the experience, it's not totally about that, could it, but the experience that we, we've had is actually the ones that fail are the ones that, uh, first of all, refuse to listen, and secondly, don't acknowledge that they have weaknesses in their skill set. So those are, the, those are two key factors, because they're not willing to listen, then they won't listen to their... If they don't listen to us, fine, that's, that's up to them, but if they won't listen to their customers, they won't listen to, to, to potential investors. And, and secondly, if they don't realise what their weaknesses are, they then can't establish a team to actually drive business. business yeah. And then I haven't met one person who is absolute, and, uh, has all the, the ideal traits for as, a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, there may be some, but I haven't met one yet. If they don't recognise their own weaknesses, because they won't learn Absolutely. So, I mean, learning is part of the OU culture anyway, so hopefully then most people will be beyond that obstacle already. And uh, yes, uh, I also truly believe that, that teamwork is an essential part of successful uh, um, new venture creation. Um, and yes, there might be a few very, very talented individuals, but much better to, ident- to, to, to know your weaknesses and to, and to build up partnerships, um, networks of support, and uh, partnerships with, with the expertise that you need in order to make the business happen. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Any other questions? Yes, Steve. Um, I'd just like to ask, I know this is all very uh, early days, and 
Um, it's brilliant that we've got as many numbers already lined up. Um, I think there's quite, there's probably, maybe I'll speak out of time, but there's a mix of um, members of BUSA who are interested in, in sharing their knowledge from a sort of an academic or practical manner with other people. Um, I mean, there's going to be a two-way knowledge um, share anyway. And also members of staff, members of the student community, who are are starting up and, and you know, want, wanting that information. So this is, you know, I'm not saying that's, there's not going to be two-way information spread there. Um, what would be really good, and I know your, the website thing is all very early days, mm. and I know there's the Google networking thing, um, to, so that people can actually express what their nature, nature of their business is or what the nature of their expertise is. I know at the moment it's because you know, we've got lots of members and it just says, hi, I'm Barry or whatever. It doesn't really give much more information. Absolutely. But it would be nice, um, as part of that networking, if, you know, if you're in a particular area of business and you want to find out about something similar or, you know, um, to actually know what other people's interests or fields of expertise are. Um, and that's, I'm sure that's probably on the list of things to do. It it's absolutely is. My thoughts on that at the moment are, are that we'll, we'll use an existing uh, proprietary system like LinkedIn, for example, as a method of networking, identifying prior experience. Um, and, and the beauty of that would, would, would allow extra um, networking beyond the use and family and on into the outside world so that we can then gain access to contacts of contacts really quite straightforwardly. So that, that is the next step, yeah. yes, uh, absolutely. Um, so that awareness of what people are doing, the, the example I mentioned earlier of the, of the therapeutic business um, is, is a prime example. There are uh, many, many members with very similar interests and getting them together is going to be critical. But also getting them together with other um, skill sets that, 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 that they're looking for, be it uh, finance or marketing or IT or whatever. So uh, that's a great point, Steve. And yes, it's, it's certainly it's, it's, it's going to happen. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Can we possibly have anything to learn from other universities? Uh, in this context. And the reason I ask that I've mentioned to you before the week, uh, I have a great friend who's been a very successful entrepreneur and his, he has been brought into as an honorary professor, uh, both Nottingham Trent and Loughborough Universities, where clearly yeah. this whole thing is now well established as a part of what the university is all about and what in each case what it's offering and so on. So we are in a sense coming rather late into the day and I wondered if there's a, there, we can learn from some of some of our competitors there. Absolutely right. Uh, so the question is can we learn from other universities just for the sake of the microphone um, can we learn from other universities um, and uh, what can we learn from other universities well uh, I can add something myself. Personally, I've, I've had some contact with, with the, the setup in Cambridge, uh, where they've uh, they had a they've got a student-led um, entrepreneur society, which has been running for nine years, I believe. Um, and the, 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 the spin-out activity from Cambridge University has been huge, really, since really the, the 1970s. Uh, Herman Hauser is one of the big names there, and he's personally been financially involved in over 60 spin-outs. And that's just Herman. Um, and he's recently give, given, I think, £30 million pounds or something, a similar sum, um, for the for university to, to set up a new, a new centre to house the Enterprise School. Um, so, yes, we are, we are late into this. We are late into this. And certainly, certainly uh, the feeling of Tutor and myself was that this is clearly something where we can, we've got a lot of, uh, there's a lot of experience out there that we can draw on and, and use in order to avoid some of the mistakes that other societies have made. Um, should we take a Sorry, I'll slip over there. Gordon, the, uh, the, I know several universities actually have uh, entrepreneurs in residence, they call them, actually, yeah. you know, is this the same sort of idea? Is that, I know Reading used to have them, Strathclyde, so Tom Hunter is the other, other sort of guy up there. But it's hard for us to do that because of the very nature of our student body isn't one where you can have students coming in uh, in that way. And so maybe one that task for Usen, who said, um, <laughs> should be, uh, that, it's, uh, that it could maybe sort of work on that as a project. Maybe so we, could, we, we could be looking to have a panel 
by using the, the, the KMI technology, where, where our entrepreneurs are the sort of entrepreneurs that could lend themselves to that sort of thing um, through the through the auspices of Lucerne. Excellent. Bridget, did you have something to add? Oh, I, I clearly, I think there are other universities who have set up um, enterprise societies, um, not as many as you would expect if you look around the country. And the thing that's distinctive is that most of those are set up by students who are undergraduates and who probably are only in casual employment. And one of the distinctive things that we need to remember about the OU is that the majority of OU students have by A, another route, another life, which is their professional occupants, their professional occupation, their job, their situation. And, and I think that is a distinctive thing, that a lot of what we have, and I, I think it's fairly clear now from a lot of the data, and I think Colin's presentation advised us, at the end of the day, yes, the majority of, of businesses in the UK are SMEs in inverted commas, but they have a very high turnover rate, number one. And number two, being entrepreneurial can be something you do in an existing business. And I think there's a part of me that would be slightly nervous if what we provoked as part of our identity is that our main purpose was to start up new spin-out companies as opposed to actually support people who are already working effectively within a, a, a successful business. And it may be that, that juxtaposition of, of social factors, economic factors, um, they're the not in the right place to build the right kind of relationship. So I think, yes, there are things to learn, but not, with all due respect, I, I probably wouldn't. I'm known well for not looking at Cambridge because I just think it's a very unique situation. I think you can't learn from Cambridge unless you understand the history of how that particular community evolved under the very special circumstances that you were used to invest in its growth. So the rest of us are living in normal land, and we're not going to have, you know, 30 million or 30,000 handed over readily, and that is a reality, but that should equally be an opportunity. So I think one of the exciting things about me for this and for the OU is that we're actually supporting over 50,000 OU students already work in SMEs. You know, if this and related activities give some of that activity an extra spur, add value to it, and enable this university to see ways in which it can more effectively support already 50,000, and it's probably more, but it's visibly 50,000, then I actually think that's something that will be a USP. That will make us unique and different. And I think, again, there's something about the mix of the university. We go across every region. People tend to get caught up in the networks which are about their local place. So I think another interesting thing about this university is that we'll be able to link people in Wales with people in the east of England. We'll be able to link people in the southeast to people in Scotland, to down in Cornwall. You know, and I don't think that's something that is readily offered by any other university. So from an OU perspective, I think we should, we should be aware of our, our opportunities and our unique opportunities and actually become, a, become an exemplar for how you deliver that value. And, and I'm very nervous. You know, it's not that I wouldn't want spin-out companies and if people have good ideas that they shouldn't start them, but it's a kind of sexy front end. But actually, the growth at the moment is in, is in adding value to existing businesses and the sheer number of SMEs that could benefit from that support, and already do. I mean, they come to the OU and are already benefiting from that indirect support through their, our contribution to education. And again, there's a network out there of people who have already been very successful at keeping their businesses going. You know, your relationships, your networks, your contacts with those who do have business. You know, you've got a business idea. How do you float it out and get someone to comment on it, to critique it? Because after relationships, the critical friend who will tell you what's wrong with your business idea is, is a very useful and engaging person. And, and I think we've got a community who will do a lot of that in, in a connected and open and supportive way. Sorry, but big rant, but I feel it quite passionately. Uh, I'd like to add to that as well. Uh, the, the fact that we have, we have assets, we have experience within our student body, which, which is not the case with, with many of the other universities. That's probably a, another unique selling point of... Uh, of this society and what, what's going to make it quite different, I think, to many of the other uh, student societies around the we country. Ha and we have you know, 7,000 associate lecturers, um, many of whom come from other institutions, but many yeah. of whom work professionally in businesses of different sizes. Yeah. So again, there's this, this whole connectivity, which is about this, this layered network that we can create in support of both the immediate, you know, Chris has given a view about the immediate from our base camp, as it were, but is, this is a network that threads out across the whole of the UK, and, you know, we've, we're not short of connectivity in Europe, we're not 
We've got a worldwide dimension. So yeah. there's something to play that's quite special if you just get a view of what it looks like and see how to exploit it. That's the important Absolutely. thing. Okay, on that point, uh, just given the time uh, and uh, given the fact that the food is out there, uh, I'd like to draw things to a close. Just before we do move through there to continue the networking, uh, I'd like to just ask you all to formally thank uh, the speakers once again. And please continue the talking as we go through to the other room. Thank you.